Hi, my name is Elijah and welcome to The Roots Podcast, an interview channel that dives into the personal stories of those in the hospitality industry, whether it be in the restaurant, out in the field, and those in the media as they look back on where it all started for them. It is a retrospective look on the passion, ambition, and drive involved in a competitive industry. I'd like to note that The Roots Podcast is proudly supported by Sydney Direct Fresh Produce, the fruit and veg provador led by Luke Kohler that has supplied to Sydney restaurants and cafes for the past two decades and still smashing it out today. If you've ever been at home and felt a spark of creativity when it comes to making a cocktail completely ad hoc, then you've definitely enjoyed the buzz of being around a mobile bar service that does almost just that. That's right, I'm speaking to Byron Wolfrey, one of the co-founders of Trolleyed. Where the cocktails are always changing, garnishes sometimes picked from the environment around them before an event, and spirits infused with what wild and native ingredients are currently in season to use for the next fun-themed event. And if you're like me and can't wait to be out at a bar or festival, then I'd strongly consider finding a way to be hosted by or be at a festival where Trollid is at. They know how to have some serious fun. If you go follow their Instagram page, you'll be drawn in by whatever delicious flavors are poured into the next cup and by what invigorating atmosphere they've created for everyone to just let loose and have the time of their lives. The first time me and Byron met was actually to be one of uh, the background boys for Diego's primetime slot for the weekend getaway. He was doing a piece advocating the use of native foods around you. And Byron, Gabriel from Ziggy's Wild Foods and I all went there to be Diego's backup models. And it, was, it was actually hilarious. It was pretty funny in, in the, uh, the off-camera periods. But I'm sure you could re-watch all of us there somewhere. And we have all kept in touch since and, and I was super psyched to have this chat with Byron. So... Uh, and we actually all feature on the uh, Foragers Roundtable, which will be coming up for the next roundtable in probably two weeks. Yeah, two weeks from now. So enough of me. Let's get this shit going and cheers for tuning in. So rabbit sees... See lettuce? Rabbits eat lettuce. Rabbits eat lettuce. Yeah, so we just came back from Rabbits Eats Lettuce. So there's a festival about 6,000 kids in the Sunshine Coast hinterland up uh, about two hours in from... Um, two hours in from the sunshine coast so i drove out there and it was like yeah no it was like remote great party and it was like completely disconnected a uh, whole heap of people it was like an adult playground for that uh period of uh, we had the plane up there and um people getting a bit of roller skating jam underneath it just a bit of moody man vibes mixed in with um a whole heap of party yeah yeah I, like it looks like from the from the photos and all the events you do doing all these sorts of wild parties i saw one that was on a boat a month or two back or that'd have been that'd have been sick like it, it's great that you you have you have this kind of bartending troll you know mobile bartending business because it can allow you to go and, and kind of have these or create these experiences at these really kind of awesome locations i think it'd be kind of surreal maybe sometimes i don't know maybe not anymore but probably done this a billion times well yeah no no still you still get like pretty pretty uh consumed humbled by the worlds that you end up in it's um you know been to some pretty cool places and been to some pretty cool parties and it's like uh you know it's, it's all part about it and it's you know it's it's part of our ethos we we bring that element of what trolley brings to it which is that, that 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 aspect of the sustainability um the ability to be able to have a good time whilst you know not not having that degradation and everything else you know going back to the connection and uh you know there's all all, all the all the ingredients we use is all that plant-based side of things so it has that opportunity for us to have that conversation with people it's like hey you know connect back in connect back into nature and uh still have a good time and uh get that roller skating jam on that you wanted to get partying with (laughs) 
Oh, uh, yeah. Well, look, I'm sure when when you get people at, at events come up to you and get your drinks, they're, they're probably just give you the, oh, you know, oh, everything was great, you know, the general feedback you get. But, you know, how often is it that you get someone who's like really kind of understands and kind of appreciates what you're all about and this ethos? Because other than a mobile bartending company, there is this important ethos behind it that you don't always, you, like you don't want it to get lost. Yeah, like... Yeah. I think it really came into fruition like around that, that COVID time. Um, people really, really started accepting the product a lot more. Like we always said, like, yeah, big crux of the events that we used to do, like 40th birthday parties. 40th birthday parties, great, a bunch of people, people who'd like, you know, they'd partied, they'd partied enough in their time and then they'd kind of move back around and then it's like, and, and all of a sudden they're, they're going out and there's like the drinks that they were getting and the story behind it, they really appreciated it. But you'd get down to those kind of 30-year-old brackets and younger and it's like people that just want to get pissed and you're kind of on that area of people that just wanted to go out and party. And I think since COVID, that, that kind of bar has dropped and people have really appreciated the, the, the story behind the product a lot more and, and they've really appreciated being able to go out and find that and it's like it's not like we're in here keeping all of these ingredients to ourselves and like keeping it all quiet it's like we get to the party and it's like hey like we, we we'll get there a little bit earlier we go sometimes earlier i don't want to i don't want to claim they're always on time like you know otp working on it but you, you get to the party and you go for a walk around the block and it's like you pick some stuff from around there and it's like yeah sweet and it's like this and people are like oh amazing what's this thing and it's like well that's from two doors down just like on the street you can go pick this and it's like and and it's that old world of the the, the pharmacy is in the world around you as opposed to just going down to the shops and having to buy the stuff that you need yeah and that that gets appreciated a lot more on the other side of covid because people have like stopped and they've and they're and they're and they're connecting to nature a bit more i think people are out there and they realize that they've they've seen the dolphins in vienna and they've they've been to that world and it's like hey you know it's like it's important to to kick your shoes off and and connect again yeah, how did this all how did this all start for you wanting to do a mobile bartending business? Were you just getting smashed with your mates one time and thought, imagine getting paid to get like pissed all the time? Well, like uh, so, like hospitality wise, I've been in. Uh, I was born in a pub down in the Riverina, like in the middle of middle of the guts of uh, New South Wales and Victoria down there. And um, my parents moved around. They're always hospitality. I spent last they spent the last thirty years uh, down in Burrowang, and they had the pub down there. Um, and I, I lived above it, you know, dealing with the locals and everything as such. Um, and then as moved up to Sydney after that, I started to work, kind of moved my way into a couple of, you know, high, high busy bars and then worked my way into fine dining and got into the Somme world and started getting into that whole, that whole world of wine. Where was that at? Where were some of the places? Um, where did I work? Uh, uh, Tetsuya's, Pier. Um, they were kind of like... Oh, what? Pier is in the gantry? No, Pier is in like uh, in Rose Bay. I think they were oh, in right. there. Back in the day, they were in like, you know, it's Grand King and uh, Katrina. <laughs> they're like queuing it out. It was, yeah, you know, they're, 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 they're in the top 50 restaurants of the world at the time. It was a, it was a good restaurant. Greg Doyle, he was, um, you had to run a... Tight ship, moved out of there, and um, I don't know, I worked in uh, Maryvale for a bit, uh, opened up a few restaurants there, Miss G's, managed Lotus for a bit, the fish shop, worked with Strody over there. So I worked with a lot of different chefs. Yeah. That'd, yeah. Been a, that'd have been a time. Yeah, no, it was a bit, it was, it was in, in pre-Master Chef days, you know, when <laughs> uh, chefs had to get up early and, and do the hours and uh, do that, and uh, 
get treated like shit like you know not saying that that's the way to do it but just like it was a different world it's a relationship back then yeah yeah you know it's a relationship yeah <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean a good one but it was a relationship that you uh thought was a good idea at the time yeah yeah, in ret- yeah. retrospectively think oh well maybe uh anyway yeah it's- well that's great well there's like even just working at some of those restaurants, you know, all of them are different pace, all of them provide a different environment, all of them you learn different aspects from when in terms of providing a hospitality setting to someone. What is it about some of those restaurants that maybe appeal to you more? Like were there some, were there the vibe at some restaurants doing front of house that appealed to you more than some? I like that connection of uh, with humans, right? Like, like, don't get me wrong, like if you walk me in the, down the street and you're a human i'd probably want to disassociate but when it's kind of like you know it's game time on and you're working on the floor and it's like i really really enjoy that interaction with humans and that that, that connection of what you can have in there and like that way that you can make positive influence on their lives in the short period of time that you have with them and in doing that you get to experience personally a whole heap of different different tastes and flavors that you haven't had yourself and it gives you the opportunity to, to, to get submerged in that world. So I think, like, uh, what if, uh, where, did we, where did we go? What was the actual question before I was, like, going off on a, on a little bit of a tangent? Like, the, what were some of the characteristics of the restaurants that you liked in terms of how they created a vibe or an environment for the customers? Yeah, no, just, like, yeah, a lot of the, the, the ingredients, the, the, the attention to ingredients and the way chefs really, really accentuate that 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 flavor and from from what's there and like giving people uh, a, an experience where they can go out and they can have something that's a special time for them whether it's you know they're going out several times a week or they're going out for a special occasion each one of those times you 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 have to kind of step it up and give them the time of their lives and i, I, I you know i like that i like that when people walk out of there and they go oh that was amazing thank you and it's like cool you know that's cool like you you kind of hope one day i can go somewhere and get that same kind of reciprocity of uh you know of service yeah i was actually talking about this to somebody the other day that uh i'm not saying this is i'm not saying not naming anyone specifically but just with terms of how you're saying with the reciprocity reciprocity reciprocation um where you know we've all had bad service by front of house waiters but when we're talking about at the level of like fine dining restaurants where, you know, you're getting reviewed and so forth, a lot of the waiters don't really kind of understand or appreciate the fact that how you're treated in terms of the attitude is just as more important as the food that you get, the, you know, the dining setting and the atmosphere. And it's really frustrating when you get waiters that don't, that have just come off and they're tired and they come into work or they just had a bad day and they kind of bring it with them and you can kind of sense it and they're kind of short with you and it's just like... Like, you know, you get, you stop yeah. being an asshole. You get, you get paid to fake to be nice to people. Just fucking deal with it. Like, well, I, I, I don't know. One of the first gigs I worked in in um, Sydney and uh, kind of fine dining was uh, at Otto. And and their philosophy was, uh, it had that Morris uh, kind of like crossover of like, you know, once you go onto, onto uh, service, you're, you're on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, and again, they used to have everybody, they used to have a blackboard up there with everybody's names up there and you had your Italian name and you go on and when you go on service, you know, your it's completely, name. Yeah, completely, completely what? un-PC now. Like, <laughs> but, uh, 
but, but but the but the ideas there, like you you go on and it's like you you, you go on and it's like you know what was my my, my I think my name is Luigi, <laughs> but, you, but you go on and it's like yeah cool and you, you know you, you add a bit of flair to your service and you kind of go yeah, into yeah, service yeah. as a different person as to what you get there and you leave all of your shit behind you, yeah, uh, yeah. and you know you've got to you got to you got to take that take that into account it's like we, we people don't come to you in a restaurant to deal with your problems yeah, they, yeah. you know they, they they come to or they don't come to you in a bar to deal with your problems they come there because they've got their own type of stuff and it's like yeah cool and it's like there's a certain amount that they can get from flicking through on their phone to try to get a bit of instant satisfaction about what it's got it's like you you've kind of in that hospitality game you've you you've got a certain amount of responsibility to connect with that person and give them a reason to come there and have that drink or don't have too many drinks and kind of you know like connect with humans yeah i'm so gl- i'm actually so glad that you said that you made that comparison to being a stage because i was that's literally all i think about i did theater when i was like 17 or whatever and i always think of that buzz just before service when everyone's getting their shit ready like you know whether you're getting your table and the cutleries ready all your shit polished and all the tables in the correct position for the numbers of guests you're gonna have in the first sitting or prep for chefs or whatever there's this buzz before the stage hits before like six o'clock when you're getting all your your customers or your guests in you know and it's just like i had that same feeling doing theater as i do being a chef because you're running around frantic making sure that you got your props ready right or your prep or your props you know and and it's so true that when the guests in and the guests arrive you have to put on your best performance for them to enjoy themselves and i think it's really good that you said that second note I, th- I, th- I thought, because I met a guy named uh, Eric Morris, and he said he worked at a restaurant and he told people his name was Enrique Iglesias. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just him. I didn't know this was a restaurant thing. Yeah, no, well, it, it works well in front of house. I guess it must have come up from Melbourne at some sort of stage, you know. Sydney always picks up things up from I the thought this, like, Melbourne crazy. <laughs> but it's a, no, but it, 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 really, it really does become about that. And, like, you know, there are times where I sit back and I regret the fact that, you know, I didn't have enough patience with other people and my, my peers that I was working with around that because they didn't snap into that kind of area. And right. I, I guess that was conditioning from my upbringing in it. It's like, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, you got to get on, it's game on, switch on and, uh, you know, do what you got to do and then step out of it. And it's, and, you know, it is it is a hard time and you do have that mental kind of challenge with like, you know, it's, it's, uh, when, when, when times are hard. That, that's pretty good though. Luigi, I mean, come on. Yeah, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I really Who decides it. that? Did you pick that one? No, it was the managers. managers Did they just say you look like a Luigi? I don't know where they got Luigi from. I think they're just short on like, you know. Uh, We've already had Mario. Yeah, yeah. Wario, so. Yeah, no, there's all, there's yeah. all the Italian names out there like. I'm using it like the Italianist. I've got Italian in my background right now, so right. like you know, I'm just dropping it in there right now. But you could, yeah, 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 just uh, PCS. <laughs> um, hey, I'm talking to. How long ago were you at Tetsuya's? Um, I was at Tetsuya's about oh, 15 years ago. Oh, fuck! Right. I was going to ask you if you had any shit on Josh Rain because I'm going to talk to him soon, but he's a new head chef. No. But that, was, that was way before. I mean, no, he's no. way after your time. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was there. I think, I think they were in the top five restaurants of the world, I think, at the time. And it was, you know, it was cr- pretty buzzy. It was, a, it was a real experience. Like, Tets was a um, stickler for... Yeah, I really learned a lot from that, that world of, like, the, the, the produce and just, like, 
Tetsa's uh, affiliation with just the, the, the base ingredients and where they came from and the flavor of those ingredients was a really, really well, you know, as a, as a proper learning curve. And, and going in there and it's like, you know, the, the place is a well-oiled machine and, like, yeah, and, and they, they know the amount of numbers that they got. They turn it in, they turn it out, and they make, they make, you know, from from a from a cooking perspective, the guys that I, I worked with that have come out of that kitchen who've like gone on to do great things. You've got you got your Darren Robertsons, your Phil Woods, your your Luke Powell's. Like they like these guys have all stepped out and done like uh, you know Specky Martin Ben. They they've all come out and done great things on the other side of it. It was a it was a really good learning curve, and it was a it was hard. Like you know, it was monotonous. It was, uh, you know, you're talking 25 people on the floor and 25 people in the kitchen. That's and, crazy. Yeah, and week King's in, week out, the doing kitchen. the exact yeah. thing that you do every day. Like you can imagine just doing one single garnish as a chef for, you know, three to four months. You know, you can imagine taking that dish out to everybody on the floor and telling them that same story. And, you know, that was hard. Like if you'd go out and you'd have a... You'd have a fight with your girlfriend or something like that, and you're walking around those halls and you're going through that same thing. It kind of eats at your internals. You're like, you're in there and you're like, oh, I just don't, don't like, and you kind of get that anticipation anxiety before you go into a service like that. And it's like, oh, no, I've just got to go in. I don't want, I don't want to have this. And then you get dropped in it and you kind of force yourself into it in sort of the other ways. And as you have that kind of mental, mental barrier of uh, breaking through it, which is, which is hard. And, but yeah, no, that was, uh, that was that part of the world. Yeah, I imagine being a tattoos would have been interesting because it's working at those kind of restaurants. Why well, I mentioned Key because they do run in a very similar, you know, method. You know, it, it is very like, you know, like you said, like one person does the same job every day, like because they have that many chefs, I have that much investment behind them to afford to have the chefs like that. And I've heard stories at Key where it's just like one, one chef you know literally will prep the same thing like every day it's where it's like not at smaller restaurants where you have a small amount of chefs that have to kind of help each other out every now and then and and and, you know do more prep you know every day or different prep every day so i'd imagine that'd have been interesting did you work there while phil wood was there yeah yeah phil was there i kind of went through that like uh what was it specky was head chef when i kind of first started and then daz worked up there darren robson and then phil wood kind of moved in that spot and then luke moved into that spot and jout jout you so what do you mean phil wood was head chef phil wood was head chef for a brief period after daz he was kind of two in cd yeah he was was sous chef to daz down there and then um, he stepped it up and Lukey was under him and then Jout was in there as well. Jout was like a young gun. Jout, you, great chef. Uh, if he ever comes out and opens a restaurant in Australia, go go taste his food, kind of yeah, yeah. above his time. Yeah, well, Phil Wood's just opening up his own restaurant. Yeah, yeah, no, I, saw, I saw that the other day. Yeah, so yeah, that was awesome. that's why I was curious because he just did a pop-up with Yellow and I had the chance to just like, have a bit of a banter and, 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 and chill with him. But... Um, this is his first restaurant, I think, he's opening too. Yeah, and he's a good chef. Like, go yeah, eat his safe. food. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It'll be exciting because I think it's in Paddington. The place is opening up and it looks like... It was only, it was only a photo of the outside because they're still going to do renovations and shit like that. But um, I'll hopefully aim to get him on the podcast as well because I think it'd be hilarious because he's a, he's a real cool guy, like a real laid back, but like hardworking, you know? Like he's very dedicated. You can tell that. Yeah, he spewed in my sink once. Like... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> He'd be so pissed off if you put that in the podcast, but like, you know, just saying. Pay He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think we went to Laurent Garnier concert or something back in the day, but you know. Just, uh, <laughs> in your sink specifically. Yeah, yeah, no, that was like, yeah, no, they came back. Yeah, yeah, that was good. He likes the party. He likes good music and he cooks like a legend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's very good. Yeah, because I, oh, I do want to get him on the podcast. I think he'd be sick. He's a real funny guy, but he's he's fucking becoming a bit of a legend of the yeah. industry. So you would have called him back yeah. in his prime. Yeah, no, he's a, he's, a, he's a great. I don't know if that was his prime. I think he was um, at that stage going through the motions, like a lot of oh, that, right. like you know, that's kind of what you do when you go to a restaurant of that era. It's like right. you know, you've got your poster boy. Which is which is your tets? Yeah, who's up there, and then the rest of the kind of crew are learning off that, and it's a, it's a really good learning curve off being associated with that, and you get a lot of that great energy that comes off it, and a lot of great people come in there, and it's a you get to try a lot of great wine, you get to try a lot of great pro- produce, and you get to you get submerged in that world, which is quite deep, and as a and and Phil, I think really really took that by the balls and. Uh, you know, when it, when it wasn't a place for chefs to put their creativity up the front because a lot of the dishes were the same things. But you see the specials that had come out of them, and yeah, you know, Phil, that guy, he knows how to cook. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. It's crazy. I heard something. So now talking to apprentices who who have friends that are now working at like tattoos and stuff. So their main dish, which they've had on for forever and ever, Petunia Ocean Trout, which is confed with a kombu. Uh, daikon and fennel you yeah, could tell like, me like the way you told it to 15 yeah, years ago yeah, yeah so, you've still got it in you um but that that dish where apparently they they like um you know steam it and then put it on a tray in the fridge to cool down and they put it back in the steamer for a bit like as their way of doing a sous vide but not sous vide before they had sous vides and they still do that to this day like that's something that they still do and my parents are saying like not my parents but an apprentice i work with was saying how how ludicrous that sounds like like why don't you just sous vide the goddamn thing like it's pretty funny but well i i, I hear i do hear good things about well I, I i you know you you've got to take a step back and you and you go to places like you know blue hills or you know you got you, you got you got places where they, they you know people will cook in a compost where they'll put a, a potato in a lobster shell you know and 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 that's slow cooking and that's old world cooking and yes you could do that exact same thing by putting in your potato in the lobster shell and putting in a sous vide bag and sticking it in the thing it's like you know you could upgrade that but it's like well you know there's that storytelling aspect to yeah. it and it's like and i i used to sell you know i've been i've been head sommelier at restaurants and i've been there before and it's like and and there is a certain amount of that placebo that does come into it and and not to discredit the quality of stuff that do, does go out there, but it, like you can say to somebody at a certain stage, well, you can just say to anybody when you when you have a glass of wine, it's like, oh, can you smell the the, the cherries and gooseberries that are in this wine? The and tannins. people are like, oh yeah, no no, I smell the gooseberries. <laughs> it's like I've never smelled a gooseberry in my life. <laughs> Did like, you have you pulled that one? Yeah, yeah, no, no, you say it all the time. It's like. It's, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, and it's sweet, and it smells like cat's pee. And it's like, oh, cat's pee sounds sexy all of a sudden. And you're like, you know, there's, there's, there, there is that placebo of things that go around there. But people want that, and they yeah, need yeah. that, and they need that theater. And they watch a movie, and they know the movie's like, you know, the movie's made up and everything else. But they just want to be able to step out and go into that. And you're able to give that to people yeah. in, in our industries, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's performance. Yeah. That's once again, which is pretty funny. Right. So even being what head sommelier, does, did you do your, so obviously 
Because there are stages to being a head sommelier. Oh, sorry, to being a sommelier. Yeah, I um, yeah, I studied wine. I did my recet and stuff. I did, you know, I tasted a lot of wine. I got, I got submerged in it. It's one of those things that you really do get to, and you realise there's no end. Right. Because once you kind of start in the wine world, you kind of get out there, and it's like there's, there's, there's no, there's no end flag that you can go towards to being a you're constantly tasting new stuff and there's amazing wines that are out there. I, you know, I spent the today with Andrew Gard who's got like the, the, the most amazing selection of wines that you just kind of taste out and it's like there's Parisian wine bar wines where it's like they're made to be drunk and they're made to be shown like, you know, they, they, they show the tour why they show where they're from and you, and, yeah. you, and you sip on them and it's like there's no bullshit attached to them. Yeah, sure. Maybe a little bit of bullshit that's come in there with the stories or whatever, but that, that's, that's everything in the... In the in the food and drink and the storytelling world. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, there's there's this stuff that hits your lips and you're like, whoa, I, I really, really enjoy that. And it's yeah. like, yeah, I, I kind of did go down that path for a bit and I did kind of get to that point where I was like, there is no end to this. Where do, where, where do you go? Where do you stop? Where does right. it come to? And uh, yeah, and no, I kind of got more into that managing of restaurants side of things after that. And um, yeah, here I am now. Right. Because I, I always wanted to, I always wondered how pretentious this this being in the wine world was, being someone who's maybe now out of wine and not doing it as much anymore. Like how pretentious it was, kind of the world of it. Like I don't, I don't understand the like. This is why this question sounds biased to a to a not liking it kind of sense because I don't really know a lot about the wine world. I understand that wine is very fucking delicious, but in terms of the, the the cost of wine or the price of wine compared to maybe what it could be like i know some fucking food ingredients are way too expensive than what they should be you know what i mean it's just kind of because of the pretentiousness of the label or because of the you know the maker for example i wonder if maybe that's the same thing but even the pretentiousness around the people that are the sommeliers or the wine people that are value themselves quite highly over something do you know do you understand what i mean like yeah no. or am i do i have this wrong like, no no you pretty much nailed it on the head there right? they say probably 90 percent of wine drinking is placebo right uh, and as i was saying before like when people tell you about the whole gooseberry type thing and they tell you about that and you taste it straight away no matter what it is when you taste a wine after somebody's told you what it tastes like you taste what they tell you it tastes like um that's that's just the world that's been created. I think there's a really good Freakonomics. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you ever read Freakonomics or there's a podcast of Freakonomics guys that are out there. And one of the guys in Freakonomics, he was like, you know, he's pretty high up with a few, with a few, few deans in uh, the college that he's working at. And they used to do... Um, they used to do these blind wine tastings and there was a few people in there. There was like a master sommelier that was in there and there was a master of wine that was in the group and they'd always do these blind tastings and they'd have a premium bottle of wine and a standard bottle of wine and a cheap bottle of wine and they'd wrap them in the foil and they'd do the blind tastings and went around and came around to his time and he didn't really have much to do with wine. He didn't really like it. He thought it was all a bit of bollocks. But he got out there and he's like, he pulled the wines out and everybody said, that's the expensive wine and that's the medium bottle of wine and that's the cheap bottle of wine. And he, and he showed him, I was like, they're all the same bottle of wine. You know? <laughs> and there's all these guys and they're like, you know, they're all up there, the master sommeliers and everything. And they all end up walking out and they're like, oh no, I've got a flu and I've got all this type of stuff. Really? Like, yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's a really great episode. It's like, you know, but it is that placebo type of things. And like, to be honest, I've done that before. I worked in one of the restaurants and I'd, I'd say to people and it's like, you'd have these bottles of wine on there and, 
And a lot of the time it's something you want to try. Yeah. And you get out there and it's like, oh, this wine, oh, you know, it tastes like this and this and this. And, you know, it reminds you of this and this and this. And, you know, Frank Lowry came in here the other day and he bought a bottle. And it's like somebody turned around and said, oh, you bought a bottle and I'll buy a bottle too. You know, it's like, cool, sweet. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, cool. You're going into that whole other world of wines that you haven't tried before. And it's like, you know, they're, they're, you're not really doing that much of an injustice to the people that are purchasing it. Right. It's not like it's an offensive way of doing it. It's like the people that are there, they're like, they're trying it and they're giving it a go. And it's like, oh, yeah, sweet. And they have a great bottle of wine. And they'll tell people, they'll go out for the week after and they'll be like, oh, Frank Lowry drank this bottle of wine and I had it down the road here. And it's like, it was great. And it's like, sweet. And it's like, next thing you know, you've had that opportunity to to to, to taste something and try it and uh, add that part to it. You know, there's, is yeah, it's, it's that whole grey area of what's, uh, what's uh, right and wrong in the wine world. Right. That's, I think that's a very good clarification. Uh, literally for, for, for wine. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, you know, the clarification without the, like, you know, without the eggs or the icing glass. Yeah, you the Vegan clarification. Right, because that that's strange because I was listening to a David Chang talk today and he was taking, talking about how um, restaurants basically make the most of their money off beverages. Uh, basically, he said specifically when it comes to wine or alcohol and spirits because of the um, the market cost, uh, sorry, the, the selling cost that you can make off buying it. And he was saying that, you know, when people buy their $300, $400 bottle of wine, that's where restaurants are really making their money because it, you're making more you're, from what you sell that for as opposed to the food that you up cost sort of well, thing. Well, like, I don't, yeah, no, the, the beverage side of things is like, you know, more profitable because of the fact you don't have... You know, half a dozen people working behind getting that glass of wine to you specifically at that moment in time. Whereas in the kitchen, you've got half a dozen people working behind that dish that's getting out to you. And yeah, you know, it's a, it's a hard game getting the food cost up. But I don't know, David Chang's restaurants. In the States, I'd say from where he goes around, yeah, you don't pay that much on tax on your booze. So, yes, you can make more money off it. Oh, right. And it comes out like, you know, the cost of cost of booze in the States is nothing comparative to Australia. Um, you know, there's there's so much excise and everything that's that's put on there and, uh, you know, the, the tax is in there and then they lobby so the local guys can't get a stronghold in the market and it's like, it just keeps going around. But... At the end of the day, like David Chang, I, I, I'd say he'd probably be making a good profit off his oh, food anyway. Like his food, like I can't imagine his food costs, what he's using out there, what he's using chicken skins and he's using whatever that's out there. He's not using high expensive ingredients, which has got him to that point. And he would have had different profitable parts of his restaurant. So, you know, I, I think there's a certain amount of that, which is which is a bit for show. Oh, yeah. Mostly. Like, I'm not saying that, like, the, the the people on the show were making a joke about how he's living in his, like, two-story, three-story fucking house or whatever, saying, oh, chef, he must be all right. Yeah. You know, like, obviously, they're not, they're not saying that David Chang's not successfully or financially stable. They were, he was just saying that because they were talking about the state of COVID and, and, and what they could do to help restaurants and, and how these food delivery systems are helping to some extent, but it, there were adjustments for... Um, take away alcohol and that's why he brought up the whole point of you know that's where they kind of make their money so it's hard for them to make money at the time when they were doing that because the alcohol couldn't necessarily be delivered from the restaurant if they didn't have a takeaway alcohol oh, yeah, license sort of thing that, that's just how that come up um but yeah no he was saying they're saying it's fine so it's it's totally fine i was just curious because it made me think about that and i'm thinking oh yeah i know you know every now and then people buy expensive bottles of wine and 
and it kind of adds and you know front of house get excited well, when that happens and well you've still got to like you know the 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 high you pay for that bottle of wine the less markup on it is on it generally generally the you know, you, the, the biggest markup is going to be on the second cheapest bottle of wine that you get on a list and you go out there and you're like, oh, I'll get the second cheapest bottle. And it's like, oh, the second cheapest bottle. <laughs> <laughs> like, you should buy two of them. You know, because that's, that's, that's where you get your markups. That's where, interesting. Where it comes out. Yeah, where you, where you would. Like, naturally, you'd, that's what everyone picks. Like, yeah, right. You, know, like, you don't get a cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't get the cheapest bottle. You always get the second cheapest. So I was like, yeah, you always make the one where you get the highest margin on the second cheapest. And you're like, so. yeah, yeah. Actually, I heard this the other day. Someone uh, overheard this conversation, but I wasn't really paying attention. But in terms of how they come up, like every restaurant comes up with the, the price they sell for the wine. So they don't just, you know, they buy the wine and then they figure out how much they want to sell it for and put it on the wine list. Um, they, were tr- they were explaining the process of how they sell that because there is some sort of a math based on how much you give someone a glass and how much you sell that for and then how much you sell the bottle for. They got their algorithm. Yeah, they have their own algorithm. I, 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 I wish I'd heard because it sounded interesting. Do you remember how that worked? Um, Obviously, everyone reversion's different. Yeah, it's dependent on where you work. If you're, if you're somewhere it's a bit ritzier, you've got to kind of... Well, you've, you, you've got to look... For, as a sommelier, you've got to take into account, you've got to find stuff that isn't at... Dan Murphy's and add your local bottle up. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty much it. You gotta, you gotta make sure that your wines aren't there. And then you've gone to that extra level to find those wines. So you've gone to that. It's like saying your ingredients. So you know, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you've gone to that extra level of finding those ingredients that you want to sell on. And it's like, okay, cool. And it's like, there's only a certain amount of those ingredients that you actually have there. And you've, you can determine that value. It's not so much about how much you're buying it for but there's a lot of work either side of that and it's like cool you've got you got truffles from robertson or you got truffles from you know you got Piedmonte, and you, you you you've got those different scales of things that you've got to put into account for it and you've got to you've got to figure that out of whether you can sell it or not and it's like yeah cool you can you can buy something for next to nothing and put a ridiculous price on it and never sell it and it goes off and then you've you know, you've wasted your time, you've wasted that whole aspect of things and then you've got, and you've wasted your purchase price of that commodity and it's gone moldy. So then you got to throw it out and you got to pay for the garbage to get rid of it. So there's a whole heap of extra costs that are in there. So it's, you know, determining it, um, different algorithms from the different places I work in all exist and they, you know, generally it comes down to what, what the owner of the venue is comfortable with or the person that established that kind of specific wine list we're talking about at this time is what they felt comfortable with and that's what they move with. Um, yeah, no, but there are other ways, you know, you're making it by the glass, but it's, a, it's, not, it's not like it's an extremely lucrative area to make coin off. It's just another aspect of showcasing the food as well so if you are showcasing the food and you're getting good deals on wine where you can do it then it works out really well but if you're just making heaps of money off wine and you got shit food you're still gonna have shit food no one's gonna turn up next week yeah type of thing so you gotta you gotta you gotta get that uh that 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 harmonious relationship between between the two and then you work out which ways you can kind of start tweaking that to make it work right so you were you were a sommelier for, or I mean, manager for restaurants for a fair number of years. Yeah. How, how, how many years are we talking? 
I don't know. Um, well, yes, I don't know. Uh, did yes, yes, yes in both bar wines, really uh, managing. I, I've kind of, you know, been in that on and off. I'm 37 now, so I'm still spring chicken in that regard. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, no, I'm like, you know. I was, I was. Since you're about five years old, I was, so. I, was, I, I, <laughs> I, was, I was pulling beers when I was eleven years old, and yeah. I kind of haven't looked back from there. Yeah. Asking these seventeen-year-olds uh, for IDs at eleven years old. Well, I Mate, did. Get no, the fuck out of the restaurant. No, I didn't. I was in a pub. I was in there, and I'd, I'd pour it, and the locals would be like, you know, you pour them a shit beer, and my like, you know, they'd have, they'd have no head on it or something like that. And, and I, I kind of look there and I look at my old man and he'd be standing there. And he's like, no, no, pour it again. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, good. You know, sweet. And I'd do it and I'd pour it until I got it right. And, you know, I didn't have to go through that laborious thing of having to drink your mistakes because I was underage, which was a bonus. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, that would have been kind of like one of those things we'd like docs would be onto this podcast right now. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it is that customer customer service that customer satisfaction and it, and it is about creating an experience for the people that are in there so yeah i think you know it, it's it's not just about making money i think money the, the the whole profit thing is a byproduct of creating experience and the more you effort you can put into creating that experience the 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 more fun you will have personally and the more fulfilled you will be from creating that and then you know go down the track and you know hopefully money comes along like i'm, I'm hanging out for it i keep telling my wife it's going to come one day <laughs> baby please baby yeah. please don't leave me baby hospitality yeah. <laughs> problems um yeah this is interesting because uh, you know I feel like I'm stuck on this head sommelier topic, or not just sommelier, but just like front of house topic because I don't like I don't, most of the people I chat to are still in the game, so they're a bit kind of biased as to you know working with a restaurant and don't want to say anything that's a bit too ludicrous. But it's interesting to chat to someone because I was having this discussion the other day with another chef about like even little things like you know tips, you know, and how and how that's changed because what you were doing this like 15 years ago um i i wonder how often that that's changed in terms of the balance of, of tips because chefs get pissed off all the time if the tips aren't like balanced correctly do you know what i mean like because obviously a lot more goes to the front of house every week well no well i i, I think like you know chefs should get paid well yeah. um the, the 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 people that are controlling the kitchen should get paid well and generally they do if yeah, they yeah. don't they won't hang around like that's just from like you know observation of that area and the people at the front of house should you know get paid okay but then they should have the access to having the good tips because that is that whole thing of selling it out there you know they I'm not discrediting that there should be always be a percentage that goes across to to the to the to the kitchen side of things but I think a lot of that comes down to the restaurant owner the restaurant owner should be paying their chefs well and they and they should be out there because they they, they, they have a high pressure job, and it's and it, it's it's hard work. Like you know what I mean. You've got to if you don't get that food out, and it's hot, not hot, and it's not on time, and it's not with that other food. Those people that will get that food will walk out of there, and they will tell all of their mates how shit it was. It's high pressure. It's it, it, it's it's uh, it's stressful. It's like it's it's massively it's like I, I i can't put myself in those shoes because i've never been the chef or the cook in the kitchen that's kind of been under that much pressure but it's it's hardcore and people should be paid accordingly but outside of that the front of house staff they've got a different job 
you know, you've got your job in the kitchen and you've got the front of house job, which is out there. And it's like, if you can encourage people, I've, I've always kind of strongly been in that ideal that if you, you know, your staff are getting good tips, they're doing a good job. Unless they're kind of doing something under the table and all that type of stuff. And you've got to be like, you know, watching stuff and counting it. But as they, you know, if, they do, if they're getting good tips, they're doing a good job. And it, it, it's not about anything else and being dodgy or anything. It's, it's like they're out there and they're creating that experience. And that showcases that product that the owner of the venue and the chef wants to showcase. And, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a completely different art in itself. And, it's, and I think it's important. And I think it's important that those people get paid accordingly and those people and a good way of sliding that scale is if they get good tips for it they get rewarded for those tips and it's like they're out there and they're and, and they're selling it and they get they get those those little perks from it and it's like i do it if i go out somewhere and someone slips me a 50 in my hand and it's like okay cool i did that <laughs> i want to recreate that you know what i mean and yeah, it's like, yeah. and, it, and it happens and it's like sweet i don't i you know i could just turn up every day and not get that but it's like if I do that a little bit more and it works for everybody, it trickles down through the whole venue. It's not just for that person getting it. It trickles right down so everybody gets more business. They get the recognition that they deserve for doing all of that hard work in there. Whereas somebody, if they're like, the, the, the splits, the tips are all split and you kind of everyone's on an equal par, you do. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not discrediting that idea and everyone being on equal par, but you do open up that access for people not being able to kind of really shine and kind of really, like, show off that product and make it, make it really blossom. Mm. So, right. I mean, it's interesting. That's, that's the first time I've heard somebody say something with a logical reason to the contrary. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I've got to say, no, I'm, I'm being honest because it's like when you started talking, it kind of reminded me of, like, the car salesman to a car. Because it's like it's just like all the people who make the car demanding to get the bonus that the car salesman get from the percentage of selling the car. Do you know what I mean? It's like well, the car salesmen are there, like we're creating the product either way, and giving it to the front of house to then deliver, and it's them to kind of really like give them the rest of it. You know, like to really sell play it. with it, yeah. to play play with it, sell and, it, tell them there's gooseberries when there's not. And you and you see that you see that ricocheting yeah. from your business and your business. Yeah, they're really already prosperous. paying for the food yeah. that you're getting paid for. Like they're just can, giving you extra for the experience. Yeah, you can go to your local little place on the corner which you've been going to all that time and what's the one thing like, you know what I mean, they cook your food consistently well and everything's there but what's the one thing it's like the person that served you, you know, and you'll go back there because, you know, they remember your name, they remember that thing you have and say, oh, you're mm. having a coffee tonight, oh, you're not having a coffee tonight. They, th- those little things make a difference to you and they get you to go back there and, you know, that's important. It's all part of the big, the big picture. It's not just people being solo. And like, and at the end of the day, like the whole MasterChef thing, like, you know, I started off pre-MasterChef and like come around to that other side of things. And it's been about, you know, way too much spotlight on one person that's kind of out there and doing that, but as opposed to everybody getting around and kind of doing the job like you know going through restaurants where people sleep in their cars the chefs man like i have so much respect for those guys they're sleeping in their cars out there doing you know five days a week they're doing 14 hours 20 hour days and they like wake up go sleep in their dirty cars wake up in their dirty clothes and they get out there and they do it all again they get told that they're useless pieces of shit and they get out and do it again all for 250 bucks a week and it's like whoa you know that's and that's a whole a whole world and that's going on and those people have gone through that to get to there 
to put that out to you and it's like cool and it's like you know there's 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 no there's like this whole this whole new thing where people can just step up to the top and be like superstars in this whole thing it's like no it's not it's not it's not it's a team game you know and it's a team game and there's different perks that you get from the different parts of it and it's like generally i find you know the head chef will get paid more than the head waiter I, I haven't been in many restaurants where the head chef's got paid less than the head waiter, but it's like, it must be a pretty kind of like old school type of place, you know, but it's like the head chef gets paid more than the head waiter. And so does the Sioux and so, you know, the commies and it's kind of like, it gets down and it's like sweet. And so, and, but you're, you're giving those other incentives in there for people to excel and uh, showcase. Yeah. No, I, I've got to say that was a, for that, that little last point that you gave about kind of explaining that, that process of the tips, it's actually, very like interesting you know what i mean like i'm like i completely understand that like i've literally had always the opposite thought or or a contrary thought to that but that's actually a really well way to to say that i I feel like i'm a trader saying that as a chef to to all the other chefs that i I, I understand no obviously i'm just no no way but there's like everybody everybody does their job to get the get the thing out there and i think a lot of that kind of bad banter comes from people who are in the head chef and they've got their knickers in the knot because of that you know they've they've seen the amount of tips that are coming in there and it's it's the same with anything like you know we've put on parties before and people see the amount of money that's coming in the door and they're like whoa fuck i want all that money and it's all that type of stuff it's like well you gotta do this and this and this and this and this and you gotta pay for that electricity you gotta pay for that and you gotta pay for this and you gotta pay for that to get there you know and it's kind of you know there's a lot going on in there and but at the end of the day it's like as as a chef you've got more more like scope to be that person that can go on and open your own restaurant and do that amazing thing and do that from a front of house perspective like you 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 know it's hard Mm. you can't just go out there and be like oh he was the waiter at uh thingy and he's going to go out there and open this restaurant now let's go we'll go down there it's like "Mm," you know It's like oh beige, <laughs> but you know it's, it's that type of thing. So they've got that little bit of area, yeah, and it's like yeah. yeah, let them shine, put it on there. Like what do you got? Yeah, mix it up, bring it on. Come yeah, on, yeah. show us how much you can get. Yeah, like, show me. Yeah, where was the last place you worked before you decided to open up Trolley? Um, so before I worked at Trolley, I was I was working Maryvale, then I moved over. I had a cafe in Kings Cross, Shady, that was there for a little bit. Then, you had a cafe. Yeah, so you opened the cafe. Yeah, at a cafe in Kings Cross. Yeah, that right. Was, uh, that was cool, and corner of Kellett and Ward Avenue down there, and then no, Three Blue Ducks. So we, we left that, and I was working at Three Blue Ducks with uh, the guys out there doing the evenings side of things. I just had a kid at that stage, so uh, well, I didn't have it. My my wonderful wife did, and she did a great job of it. And uh, he's a Must great have been kid. Tough for you. Yeah. <laughs> It was really hard. Yeah, like, yeah. I just fell asleep. I was like, this is so tiring. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we um, had, a, had a great kid. And, uh, but, uh, you know, started doing the that side of things at Three Blue Ducks, which is another, you know, interesting side they had out there for the evenings. And then... Um, I went there recently because my partner and I just did the hot air balloon that they do every morning at Three Blue Ducks in Byron Bay. I yeah. see. Yeah, no, I, I don't even know anything about that. I feel out of the loop. Yeah, right. Um, no, no, no. Well, I mean, it was just a... The, the three Blue Ducks don't do the hot air balloon, but the hot air balloon company must just do a uh, some sort of a coupon where 
you meet at Three Blue Ducks, go to the holiday balloon, they take you back for breakfast at Three Blue Ducks. So it's not that right. Darren Robertson fucking flies you out there every morning, you know, like, look out here and here's the restaurant. Cooks you some marshmallows here. on the flame. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's a copy of the book. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Like, um, yeah, so is that a cafe during the day and then the, you know, restaurant at night? Or Yeah, it was in... Um uh, in Bronte, yeah, no, they were cafe during the day, restaurant during the night. We kind of took over. We, you know, we weren't that when we were starting that off, we weren't the best people to kind of when we were starting trolley, it wasn't the best people to have in your uh kind of management circle because it kind of trolley just started to consume us. We started doing the organic growers markets and going down there. Oh, and, so you were doing that while at Three Blue Ducks. yeah, we started right. off. We're actually going to, we'd okay, so. <laughs> So we're actually like, you know, the, the Ducks guys got into this um, site that we were kind of looking at as well down in uh, Redfern and it was kind of like this whole thing. And it was like, oh, well, let's go in and do it together. So I was like, all right, let's raise some money. And we had the trolleys that were sitting there from, a, you know, we, we knew somebody that bought them all from Anset back in the day. And it was like, I was in there and they were sitting there. I was like, all right, let's put them into action. So we t- started taking them down to the growers markets down in Bondi. And then, you know, we came across people like Diego, the weedy one, yeah. around that sort of stage. And he was doing this wild food map. But I was like, well, I hope you did that. And then it was like, you know, we learned that whole world of the abundance of food that you can eat around you. And then it was like, I just kind of consumed. And, you know, there was a certain amount of neglect that we had for the restaurant that we were running kind of at that stage not that we really ever wanted to be running that restaurant and everything that was out there but it was kind of like you know we, you know i i i i do feel guilty for not giving it 100 percent because generally in life i don't you know i i like to give things 100 percent when i'm going for it um but you know there was that and there was kids and there was everything else there so you know that 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 time when the, we, were, we were hanging out at the ducks it was you know they're a cool group of people but you know we're just on kind of different wavelengths around that time right but what made you want to start up trolley then so well, yeah, that was the thing we were starting up trolley to go into business with the guys from the ducks and started up this place. oh right yeah oh, with the guys from the ducks gotcha yeah so it was kind of yeah, no, we, we, you know, trolley was kind of sitting there and we had the airline trolleys and I was sitting there doing not much, ready to be turned into mobile bars. And gotcha. then, um, you know, I was like, cool, let's uh, come in here and it's going to, you know, it came out and it's like, going to cost you this much to go into this. And it's like, all right, sweet, let's start doing the marks for it. But then kind of just started going off on the journey of the trolley thing. The other place kind of fell through. There was a whole heap of like, you know, a whole heap of stuff that went on and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, sweet. And then, you know, here we are today, taking planes around and uh, getting people trolleyed all over town. <laughs> so just so people who are listening maybe can understand what the fuck is going on here. Trolleyed is not the name of a previous company or idea. It's just the idea of getting smashed. No, well, no, 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 responsibly. So we got the airline trolley. Responsibly, obviously. So, so it, came, it came about from the airline trolley. So like, you know, it does, right. it does have that play on the English colloquialism of gotcha. trolley, which is um, to be drunk, um, which I think back in the day, I think a Diageo or something like that, like, they came up and was like, can you design a new Pim's drink? And then they came out and was like, yeah, you would design it and do all this type of stuff. And it's like, you know, make it all fancy. It's like, oh, can you guys change your name? And it's like... Yeah, no, you guys can get fucked. You guys just push people around all over town. So we kind of, you know, we, we, um, yeah, 
so we, we, we had trolleyed, which was, you know, the play on the trolleys. And, and that's where the aviation theme kind of comes into it as well, like showcasing the ergonomics and the, 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 how versatile the trolleys actually are for service. They're, right. they're great for it. Everything's set in. They're, they're like over, over-engineered. It's always great when you kind of get things like you just rock up with a couple of trolleys and you make cocktails for 50, 60 people and you kind of roll out and it's like, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, and, it's yeah. nice. and, it, and it's good. They are great. They're sexy. They're smooth. They, 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 they fit in there. But um, yeah, no, the, and the whole trolley thing was kind of like a buy byproduct of that but then it, it gave us that you know the aviation thing accentuated the trolleys but then we we got into that world of doing the growers markets meeting with people who were like you know the 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 diego bonettos of the world whereas like we went out and discovered this abundance of wild foods around us and we'd already upcycled the trolleys so all of a sudden it's like oh okay well let's you know Let's let's make a difference. Right. Let's let's do something where we can do something where it's like we can go to parties and it's like yeah we go to parties we go to lots of parties and like you know we party pretty hard and we we go out there and it's like you know it is that 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 world but it's like you can do that you can do that without making the impact onto the world and we 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 kind of became a a place where you could have that conversation with people you'd go out with people and you'd be you know you're doing a party up at you know bellingen or something like that or dorigo in the in, in the hills and you and you're sitting there and it's like people come out and they have a chat to you and it's like well you know you can do that you can make these little differences you cannot use those you know those plastic straws because they'll live longer than the other ones that have already been created and still exist that are all out there you know what i mean it's not the 1830s anymore like you know we've we've got to you know we've got to evolve with this and we can do that and you don't need those balloons you don't need those balloons filled with that finite resource which is helium up there it's like cool you can have all they and just opening the conversation not having the answers kind of came about by not telling people a way to do things but just like having discussions about the way that it was out there and like as, as that whole thing like i'm constantly learning of different parts and you know having an open discussion with people brings that out where people you know tell you their experiences because everybody has their own unique experience yeah so it was pretty shortly after that it started that your ethos and then the environmental sustainability and kind of really encapsulating the idea of using what's around you and and and, and kind of putting forth that message of, of the sustainability when everyone can have go and have a party and have a good time, but you can still make that difference. That was pretty short after you separated out of through Blue Ducks? Well, yeah, no, we were kind of there. And then, you know, the organic markets, just, yeah, everything's kind of grown really organically out of trolley as to where it's got to. Um, uh, we've, uh, yeah, no, there wasn't a, the, the, as it kind of, it started forming itself in that regards, like it, it kind of taken it, took us on the journey, um, which we're really appreciative of. And, you know, there was hard times there where it's like you kind of put everything into it and everything goes out there. But it's like, you know, we've got young families and the kids are coming out and the kids would be foraging with us and the kids would be picking stuff. And it's like they'd pick stuff and they you, you, your, your in-laws would be sending you a photo of this little <laughs> berry that the kids have picked. And it's like, can we eat this? And it's like, yes, you should eat that. And it's like awesome. And it just reiterates what... I'm doing right now is like 
cool and it's like yeah. you know it's cool that the kids are coming on that journey and they're coming around with us and it's like they might not know now but they're sitting around there they're sorting out a whole heap of like you know potacabas a whole heap of villaroyal plums that are around there a whole heap of lily pillies and they're cooking up with that and they're sitting around with a whole heap of people that are like picking it out and sorting it out and it's like yeah and it's food that's around you and it's and it's 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 you know it's stuff that we kind of we 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 had and it, and it's in us, like you know. As I was saying before, you know, there's Italians, Maltese, all these, like you know, there's, there's there's old Gaelic kind of roots that are in my 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 history that's there, and it's like, and that's it, and it's like that stuff was kind of there until maybe a generation ago, and it stopped, and it's like we're kind of just learning about it again, which we you know we should have been learning about it as we're kids, but our kids are learning about it now, and they're gonna, you know, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking interesting. Like, even it was funny. I was talking to my dad about, you know, his grandparents because my dad started from Malta. So just well, practically oh, yeah. neighbors yeah, of your mates. We're like, we're like, we're like, well, I'm from Malta as well. Like, my grandfather's one of 23 kids, yeah. Wait, is your grandfather actually from Malta? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, bullshit. Fazino. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to say fucking either Falzon or Galia or Attard. No, you know? no, there's a lot of Galias though. There's a lot it? of Galias. Isn't there the Anthony Galia? Yeah. Like, sung the Australian anthem at the footy one time. But did he? No, yeah. I think so. It's pretty funny. Did I was Maltese like, all make it out here, don't they? Well, it could be related there. It's like, like the 70s, man. They're still like, all right, uh, there's not, going, not much going on in Malta today. What do you want to do? <laughs> oh, let's go to Australia. And then all's fucked off. <laughs> yeah. And since then, it's just corruption. So. <laughs> you know, great. Well, that's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah, good. You could see Italy on a sunny day. So yeah. It's pretty close enough. I don't even know what they do there. Apparently, they make Malt- they started the Maltese company, so oh, yeah. that's what everyone teased me about. Really? Yeah. In Malta? I didn't even realize that. I thought it was just like a piss tape. It was a joke. Oh, yeah. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So your grandfather's actually one of 23 children? Yeah, one of 23 that's Maltese mental. kids. That, Maltese. He's, a, he's a boat person. Yeah, came out. Oh, oh, right. He was a, right. He came here. He didn't just work on boats. No, no, no. Right, he, he came, came, here. came here. 23 came here. people? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so that's like having a kid every year. Yeah, and a kid every year. All single births. They were like back in the day, Roman Catholics. They just used to pop them out, populate the world with them. Fucking hell, yeah. twenty three kids in Malta. Yeah. That's like the whole year of, of primary school, yeah. just the kids during like wartime. Wow, like, yeah, it would have been deep. What? What do you mean during wartime? What like, did he come back every year? So and... was he nineteen twenties? He was born. So they were like pushing in between, like that first. World War to Second World War period when the whole world was all kind of like turned to shit and especially like hidden onto those places where it wouldn't have been as touristy over there. So, That's crazy. Yeah. It's like uh, the I was watching David Attenborough with the, the turtles and they hatch on the beach and they've got to make their way across oh, the yeah. sand before to get to when the water. And they helped them. That was the only one that they actually helped them in the Attenboroughs. He never helps them. Yeah, yeah. But it was like they had to help them because it's like the humans are like not helping them. Yeah, yeah. So they got out there and, and the just, camera crew got out there. Yeah, and yeah, and helping them. them. Yeah, pushing them in there before. It's like that with the kids. It's like, it was tight back then. It was rough back then, you know? Like, yeah, but I think a lot of them like died during teething and stuff like that. So I think what it was do you mean? A, the kids, oh, not, right. not the turtles. The turtles right. Maybe the turtles did. The turtles, the, but, the, but that's what I mean. The turtles probably had less of a success rate, actually. Than, yeah. But out of that, there's like you know that connection to food and wine was kind of in there. Like you know, my grandfather came out here. He worked in they they and they owned pubs with my with my parents. They he used to manage St George Leagues Club. It was kind oh, of seriously. That. Yeah, you know, just down the road. Yeah, just down the road. Fuck me. Yeah, so he was a food and beverage. We've got all these old like St George like 
menus and everything. There's all signed. All these, like, all these old Penfolds Grange from when they like in the seventies when they won eleven straight. Like, wow. You know, there's a whole heap of um, paraphernalia that we've been slowly, um, Fuck. slowly That's making our sick. way through. Yeah. Jesus. Let's see. There you go. And he was working with a different kind of medicine. Yeah. You know, hence where you are now. Hence where we are now. Plant medicine, you know. That's, Plants. Uh, <laughs> plant medicine is more so in kind of my world. Like, you know, it's kind of <laughs> takes over a bit more in that. But yeah. Well, there you go. Well, look, trolley. How, so how long have you had trolley for? Uh, about eight years. That's okay. That's like, I, to be honest, I think that's less than what I anticipated. Either. I was going to say 10, but I guess that's not far off. Yeah. But for eight years now, that's, have you noticed it gone? Like, how long did it take for, for before I assume anything? How long did it take for it to kind of really take off for you? And when it did, did it kind of just go on a bit of a like real rocket up? Because well, now you seem to be like booked and, and, and busy well i don't know if it's i don't know if i'd put in the exponential kind of class so much it's kind of as, as a like you know as the same for us it's very organic the way that it's grown and it's and by that way we've had no investment behind us yeah. it's kind of gotten us to that point and we're just gone towards our means like you know what i mean there's a bit out of our pockets that go in there when it comes around to winter time and it kind of gets a bit cold and you you still got to pay your staff and you kind of get that but it's like you spend so much time trying to find decent staff it's so hard in in sydney to find people that kind of want to take hospitality or they kind of want to take that on under their wing and 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 work it not in a transitionary kind of perspective so you know there's kind of those points and it's and it and it's been very hand-to-mouth and it's still hand-to-mouth you know you kind of you kind of go there and you go with the ebbs and the flows of society that's around and it's like what's going on and it's like all of a sudden you're kind of doing really well and it's coming up to christmas and you got that whole stuff and there's another covid hit and it's like ah it kind of comes in here like we went to a party and it was like, we're 15 minutes off a COVID person. And it was like, you know, they rocked up 15 minutes after we'd been there. And it was like, you know, we're on the health thing. And it's like, we've got to cancel all the events. And it's like, just when you think you're kind of grabbing it back out, yeah, and you're kind yeah, of getting yeah, back yeah. out and you're starting to get people up there. And it's like, all of a sudden you've got to cancel everything again. And it's like, and it's that world. And it keeps happening and it keeps happening over winter. But it's like, you know, it's all kind of worth it because when you get to those points of, when it when it really works it's really it's really magical you know and there's those moments where it's it's a serendipitous you you meet up with people that do cool stuff they do cool parties and you meet up with people and they, you know they've got they do cool stuff with roller skates and whatever then you get it all in the one spot and it's like yeah this is this is kind of makes it all worthwhile how's the serenity how's the serenity out there sweet smell of two stroke yeah <laughs> I gotta ask, being a, a mobile, uh, you know, bar service, where's oh, two things? Where is the the, the the sickest place or the craziest place that you, that you've had the opportunity to take the bar service to? And also, what's the craziest offer that you were unable to do? Craziest place that we've been to? I don't know. I've been to so many crazy places, <laughs> and I've had so many crazy offers um, that we couldn't do i don't know there's been things on planes there's been things with people that are a bit too high on mdma there's there's so many worlds i i I, you know what kind of goes on tour stays on tour in that regards um but 
you know, craziest places we've been to. We've been, you know, it's taken us to places where it just... I, I, I think it goes through time where it really makes you consider something. Like we, you know, had to do a gig for Rabobank out at... Uh, oh, I shouldn't really say who it is, but whatever. We went Rabobank out to Moree. I can, I can cut out where, where on you the name it is if you want to tell the Out at Moree. So we went out to Moree and we'd like done this gig and it's like, you know, these guys and we're, we're, and we're out there and it's like um, we're, we're dealing with like, you know, half a dozen to a dozen of the top cotton farmers that are around this area right and these people have got all these trenches in this middle of it's like to me it looks like desert out there right and it's like they've got all these trenches with all of this water flowing into it to spray this inefficient crop um to go on and goes on and then you spec chatting to the people at this 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 kind of this gathering and it's like they've got you know they're head of santos or they're head of whatever there and they're, they're like telling them all this type of stuff and it's like well you guys have got a pretty inefficient system so it's like yeah yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's like massively inefficient it's like, and and you know there's people there telling them they should buy up more land and they could do that type of stuff and it's like so for me that's 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 really crazy because it's like you had that opportunity to speak to these people and it's like i've gone somewhere i've never been before and it's like my eyes have been open to the inefficient system that's kind of going on there but you, you have a chat to people it's like well have you guys like you know thought about growing hemp just put it out there you got two two crops a season it's just a rope thing there's no there's no thcs or anything else in there and they're in there in there in the crop that you've got and you can do that and say oh no you can't do that because like blah 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 and it's like there's all these excuses that are kind of being put in there and it's like that type of stuff really is the craziest places that i've been to and having those discussions with people and kind of being like in that other world of uh inefficient systems and and that's kind of that's that's encouraged me personally to go to people and have that conversation about you know, when you're in an event and it's like if you, you, you're showcasing this inefficient system, it's like, once again, not about having the answers, but about opening that discussion. So that, for me, is, you know, crazy. Like, we've done, we've done stuff on planes, we've done stuff on boats, we've done stuff, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that, that type of stuff kind of really gives you a bit of grounding and it's kind of like, well, we've got to, we've got to protect this stuff to, to, to make it work. And um, I don't know. Biggest proposals. I think we'll just leave that one in the uh, in the old. Uh, the get into too much trouble for bringing that one. Up. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, I got to finish with one more question. Uh, it's the same question I've asked every guest for the for the second season, um, and basically, it's just something that chefs always love to joke about and and tell each share and share each other's stories in terms of memorable moments of their kind of career. And you can refer to moments with trolley, or you can refer to moments being you know managers at restaurants ahead. Some that's totally fine. Um, and I'll ask you the question, which will give you time to think, and then I'll share you a story from the previous guest who I'd spoke to this morning as a bit of a, their experience of what that was like to the answer. So the question was, when was the uh, craziest or funniest time you found yourself most in the shit? I'm sure there are plenty in hospitality, which is why it's a great uh, background. Uh, but this one was, uh, I'll share you a story from Leia Sherblom, who's the uh, starter or creator of uh, Grit Ceramics. And uh, she supplies to various restaurants, you know, raisin water goes and pivot and so forth and i asked her i was like you know ceramicist surely when you get a backlog of hundreds and hundreds of plates must something must go wrong and she uh she shared two stories with me and i think this one's uh this one's funnier well not funny it was actually terrible but she's saying she um 
was experimenting on a new project and asked uh, Ben Devlin. Well, Ben Devlin had this uh, waste from all this fish that he gets. So he fillets all his fish at Pippet and he had all these bones left and he's wondering if he could maybe do something from that. And so he, he, down the road, he just goes to Leia. He's like, hey, you know, it'd be cool to kind of really take and use all of the fish, like literally all the fish. So, you know, we're using the skin and the, you know, the, the, the meat and all that so forth. But now all I've got is these bones, which sure I can make a stock from, but let's do something different. He's like, do you think you can make a plate out of it? And she's like, oh, like I know about this stuff, but I've never done this stuff before. Uh, she's like, just leave it with me and, and I'll, I'll get around to it. And so a couple of weeks or however long later, she, she finally decides to get around to it. And she's kind of like, fuck, like if I leave this for any longer, it will never get done. So I'll just do it. So she's kind of been a bit of a, you know, mo a mood, you know, kind of just like wanted to get it done. And so she fires up her electric kiln, which is about like 20 grand. You know, these kilns are expensive. And she's like, sure, whatever. So she takes like these buckets of, of the bones or whatever. And, um, and which Ben Devlin, you know, carefully cleaned out and puts them in this kiln to go grind into the powder oh sorry it gets uh, gets risen to the temperature and then gets ground to the powder so because then it gets reduced to the the calcium stage which is what you use to mix to make the bone china plates and so she just puts all the bones in there and just gets back into a kind of like um you know workspace um someone knocks on the door and just uh, she's got a sign out the front of grit ceramics which you know one of her friends recommended she just gets rid of because otherwise she just get random people fucking showing up at her door because it's a house basically, not a, a workplace. And so she got distracted. So she goes to the door and starts having this conversation. All of a sudden, she starts smelling this um, this burnt kind of heat smell that, that doesn't really seem right. Like she's never worked with bone before. So she's not really sure what it should smell like, but it just didn't seem right. And so she runs out. She starts to... The closer she gets, the worse it smells. And she kind of like lifts up this kiln and literally this ball of fire just comes fucking racing at her. Like she lifts it up because there's like this fucking like melting and drips and shit. And she lifts it up and this ball of fire comes at her and she looks down the bottom. It's literally like molten lava. Like that's how she described it. That's what whatever happened to the bones in the process of getting heated up. She was saying that um, it just kind of dripped down and it just destroyed her whole electric kiln. She couldn't get it fixed, had to get a new one. And she was like, she was like, do, do you understand? She was trying to explain to me what happened. She was like, there's a lot of science that goes into this, but basically there's because of the fat and the salt from the fish, because it was an electric oven and not a gas kiln, that dripped down into the uh, the electric, like the uh, wires of the kiln. So it obviously wasn't like, I don't know how they're kind of designed, but obviously a gas can afford to have these more aerated an electric has to be must be sealed but for some reason the fat must have dripped through right and it fused with the wires and the fat and it started to bubble and reduce and get to this almost like zhu because it's going at like fucking 1500 or 1600 degrees you know what i mean so it's like it's almost like it's made a zhu in like fucking 100 times the amount of time and turn to this fucking fat rich salt rich like la molten lava which is why it looks like that and just destroyed the whole thing and she was like that was that was her entire kiln gone she didn't buy a kiln just for the bone china that was her entire kiln which she got shipped over and she was like that fucked me for so long like it just it's like a, a chef basically without any cooking equipment whatsoever. <laughs> it's wow. just like, that was it. I was like, like talk about being in the shit. That's, that's having nothing to do. 
<laughs> which is mental. So I pass that on to you. So if there are any stories that come to your mind. I don't know, kind of, kind of, I don't know, the, the, the time that, that, yeah, it kind of reminds me of the time, it's, it's, it's slight, it's, it's heaps, heaps different, but it kind of, it kind of revokes those, uh, memories for me, it was like, when I was, um, growing up in a pub down in, down in Burrowing, my parents had the pub down there, and they had, like, this bocce court out the back, and it was out there, and it was, you know, all of a sudden, there's, there's all these people there, it's lunchtime, it's like, filled out with people, they're sitting all around, this bocce court, they're all having their lunches. Then all of a sudden I they, you know, I'm I'm clearing up clearing up something around some plates or something like that. My mom's like, Byron, Byron, go get the shovel, go get the shovel, there's a snake. And I was like, Oh, alright. So I went out of the back and I got a shovel and it and I came back up to the bocce court and there's there's our cat. It was a pretty pretty uh pretty cool looking cat like you know what i mean like you know the it was it came from its mother was a feral cat that i found and then it was like growing up and it had these like long hair and it was like out there and it was like so cuddly you'd want to pick it up everywhere but it's there and it's haunches on its back legs and it's just throwing swipes at this copperhead snake which is trying to attack it around about that time and everyone's kind of sitting there around the thing around lunch having their lunch having the hamburgers having their burrowing burgers and such and they're like Oh, oh, there's a snake attacking the cat. And the cat's like, you know, there's little bits of blood floating out of this snake that's going everywhere from where the cat's actually got a bit of it. And I've walked up to it with the shovel and I've kind of looked at it and I've kind of given it a little bit of a push and the snake's kind of gone from me and I've stepped back all freaked out and the cat's trying to get in there and I'm trying to get the cat back. And it was kind of like this this, this lady, Mima Ware, who was great. She was the, the horse lady. She was having lunch there and she just walked up to me and she grabbed the shovel and she chopped up the snake in front of me while the cat was trying to get it. And then she gave me the shovel back and she's just like, doesn't matter, you know, sometimes you just can't kill stuff. And then she walked off and sat down. And I sat there, for, I had stood there while everyone's kind of like, oh, they're all going to get their hands in their mouths. They've, they've witnessed this murder. They've witnessed this whole thing that's going on there. And then all of a sudden I've got to try and get these half a dozen bits of snake which are all still moving onto the shovel and into the garden and throw them kind of off into the thing while well, the snake's head which is like you know it's like it's like half a kilo python's kind of head still trying to attack me at the time seriously yeah and i did say and i'm like dead on the shovel and i like tried it out and i'm throwing bits over the fence and the cat's trying to get little bits of it more and then it gets a little bit of the tail and eats it and yeah, no, I reckon that was kind of like, you know, the most <laughs> in the shit moment that I've had. <laughs> Nothing as a manager of a restaurant or a head song that can, that can match that. No, no, that was, <laughs> that was pretty deep. Little bits, of, little bits of cut-off snake trying to attack you. <laughs> what would you say that was at the pub? Down in Burrowing. I was like, oh. you know, I've had a few snake kind of incidents in, the, in and around it, but like, that was kind of like, whoa, I'm kind of... The fuck? I'm out of my depth. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I think I think we can leave it on that if that's fine with you. Yeah, I think no, it's a great way to good. finish the chat. I appreciate you jumping on. I appreciate you swinging by to the makeshift studio that we have today. Now it goes up right here. Yeah, the second of Gabriel to, to come here. Right. <laughs> Very good. All right. Appreciate it. Done. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. If you like what you heard, go follow Roots underscore hospitality over on Instagram. And maybe you go follow them and like them and leave a review if you want to, if you really feel up for it, over on wherever you get your podcasts from. It would help a lot and I appreciate it. Have a sick one.